Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 193. My name is Urban. Joining me as always, my colleague from PetsandTanPuppets.com. It's acting the Fooleman. Hi, everybody. How you doing, Fooleman? I am not too bad. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Getting into the holiday spirit. Heading back to Canada later oh. this week, which will be nice. Very good. Welcome yeah. back to the homeland. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'll be there for a couple weeks. So it'll be it'll be good to see see my family. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, Arvid and I actually talked about meeting before the pandemic, and then the pandemic was like that washed it out. So Arvid and I have been talking for an hour a week for like six years, and we've never seen each other in person. It's it's actually kind of interesting when you when you think about it, where it's like I've definitely talked to you on in aggregate more than like many people I know in my life for the past five years. Yeah, I thought that in 2020, I was thinking that I'm like, there's my partner who I live with and my mm-hmm. parents who I was like helping out. And I was like, I think the guy I've had the most conversations with now is Arvind. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And to keep those conversations going, what a peerless segue. Uh, we did a mailbag this week and it's become almost a cliche of this podcast. There is always a moment where I worry we won't get enough questions. And there is always a moment somewhat after that where I think, oh my God, we have too many questions. That happened again. God mm-hmm. bless all of you. Um, you're generous with your questions and your thoughts. And we are trying to answer all of them. I probably missed a few. And I did employ a bit of a time cutoff. I sent a reply to the tweet and I said, okay, drawing a line under it. So if we missed you, I am so sorry. Um, we also tried to employ something a little different this time to, uh, keep the pace tight, which is that if we had a similar answer for something, only one of us answered it and we just kind of deferred to the other one. Um, we will still talk and riff and add commentary to each other, but that'll make it go a little bit quicker. And then a few of them, we did end up both answering because we did had one of our rare moments of disagreement on this podcast. <laughs> so, Yeah. All right, so yeah, let's get started. Um, the first question from also named Phil. If you were included in a Leafs roster secret Santa, which member of the team would you least want to draw? Um, so I think the obvious answer here is Austin Matthews. Yeah, I think you have a good case here. Well, like, what do you get the man who has everything, number one? Mm-hmm. He also has, like, kind of weird slash expensive taste. I, I, I remember... <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I once linked someone the uh, an ESPN like feature on Matthews, and their takeaway was Matthews seems to want to be more interesting than he is, <laughs> which is just the most devastating <laughs> takedown I can imagine. That, that's so incisive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah, and you had that shot of him standing on a roof corner in mm-hmm. what looked like a, I would say, dystopian anime sci-fi dictator coat. Yeah, oh, that, that red the, coat. The red yeah. one, yeah, where he looks like he's taken over, you know, Neo Tokyo in 2077. And I was like, I would not know how to accessorize with that outfit at all. Yeah. The other thing is, I feel like Matthews probably doesn't have, I don't know, he's a bit sassy. Mm. So, like, if I get him, like, a $15 box of golf balls or whatever, you know, some some crappy present, I don't think he'd be like, oh, that's amazing, Arvin, thank you. I think he'd be like, all right, cool. Yeah, he would be a bit of a dick about it. Yeah, so, so I, I think it's him. I'm... Who would be the best? I feel like I feel like Riley would be like he'd be like a sweetheart about it, no matter what you got him. Yeah, he would. He would be like it's the thought that counts. He's grateful that you tried. He knows that you know this isn't really your thing, but you're putting in an effort. Mm-hmm. Um, so God bless you, Morgan Riley. That's why he got the extension. Um, inspired by your tweet, live, laugh, love. Pick a leaf season from each category or for each category in the post 2005 lockout season. So a season for living, laughing, and loving. That's from Psychic Octopus. 
Um, so for Live, I picked 2009 because it's a miracle we survived. For Laugh, I picked 2013, which I'm actually going to explain in the answer to a later question. That's called Synergy. And for Love, 2016-17. It was Matthew's first year. We had that unexpected run to the playoffs. I still don't think anything's been quite as purely fun because they beat expectations so thoroughly. Yes, I, I, I definitely agree with the with your pick for, for Love. Uh, that's easily the most fun season of the past, like, I don't know, since the uh, post-lockout era, for exactly the reasons that, that, that you mentioned. Uh, I'm trying to think about any other really different answer. I guess we'll, we'll get to, to why you say, like, Laugh for, for 2013, which obviously had the pretty <laughs> horrific ending. <laughs> um, for Laugh, I probably would have gone with the tank year, 1516. Mm. Because it's just you could... I don't know, you could just see like the unintentional hilarity and everything that the Leafs were doing. It was so. I think my favorite uh, moment will always be Eric Brewer's silver stick ceremony because his thousandth <laughs> game came yeah. in the middle of like the six games he got in Toronto, and they interviewed him. And he was like, "I don't know, man." Uh, <laughs> like the crowd was like not sure who he was and everything. It was just it was pretty great. Yeah, it's, he's like, "Oh, it's kind of weird." But... <laughs> everything about it was just so funny. Um, yeah, okay, so the next one, this is from Lash God, and it's a bit more involved. Uh, using anyone from the current NHL rosters, make the most optimal starting lineup possible. So I read that as three forwards, two defensemen, one goalie. Not just the best players at each position, think of how they will all mesh together and what roles they could play in order to be the most formidable lineup that could exist. Um, so I will immediately backtrack on the caveat that's in that question and say, I think there is some danger of overthinking this. Put the best players on the ice because part of the reason they're good is that they're very, very good at different things. Right. So. And in very, it's, there haven't been that many situations of like top end players playing together mm-hmm. and just like, oh, they just can't figure it out. Yeah. And so I don't want to go too far in that direction and give up on, what I think are the clear one-two players in the world. So at forward, you definitely put McDavid and Matthews there. Um, They're both left shots, which is a bit of an interesting thing to contemplate. Like, are you comfortable putting Matthews on the right wing to try and give him an inside shot? Or do you put him on the left side, which is probably more natural to him? I think I might start him on the left, but we'll see. Um, For defense, I would say you kind of have to get Kale McCarr on there. He's too good at too many things, and it makes me jealous, but that's the reality. And then I put him with Victor Hedman. Um, Hedman Makar is a natural lefty-righty pairing. They're both extremely good. It maybe skews a little bit offensive, but we are playing them behind a forward line with McDavid and Matthews on it, third forward to be named shortly. Um, So I think they can just kind of go for it. And then for goalie, it's just a matter of which of the very best goalies you prefer. To me, it comes down to Hellebuck or Vasilevsky. And I gave Hellebuck the nod because I think Vasilevsky plays for a better team. Um, But I wouldn't, you know, at all disagree with you if you picked Vasilevsky. So the question is really, what winger do you put with Matthews and McDavid? Because I don't think that there's a third forward who is clearly on a par with those guys ahead of the pack of the very best forwards. And I think there maybe you can work in a bit more about fit. Mm -hmm. Um and I think there are lots of very good options. Nathan McKinnon would be an option, even though it's just sort of put a very good player out there. But for my money, I put Matthew Kachuk. 
um, who is a real asshole of a power forward, but he's also very, very good. Um, I believe he's played with Matthews in the U.S. National Development Program way back. Um, I think that starting lineup would kind of nuke the league. So It would be pretty yeah. ridiculous. I, I think I mostly agree. I might change up the goal. I might put... It depends on how this year focused you want to be. You could put like Ilya Sorokin there, right? Mm. Uh, Igor Shosturkin deserves a shout out, I suppose. Um, I think McDavid Matthews are, are no-brainers. I mean, yeah. I, I've been toying with like making this a podcast. I mean, like this has been a down year for, for Matthews in some sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you ask a lot of fans, certainly non-Leafs fans, they'd say, oh, he, he's, he's had like a kind of meh year by his standards and, you know, shouldn't really be in like the heart uh, consideration at this point or anything like that. I, I think I could agree with like not being in the heart, but like when you look at his numbers over the course of the season, they're still bonkers good. He's operating at like, you know, high fifties and expected goals. His, Actually, because of the Leafs' goaltending has been very good, especially when he's on the ice, his goals forward percentage is, like, well above 60, I believe, where he's just, like, very rarely on the goal for a goal against, which is, you know, a little bit of luck. But, uh, you know, he, he also has some some say in that, prob- uh, although not necessarily a huge amount. Like the, And the defensive numbers, when you account for, like, just expected goals are are quite good, too. He's still scoring at a, at a good rate, uh, although not the absolutely bonkers rate that we've come to expect from him like i i i think matthews is still really 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 good i think dom lachitian's goal saved or sorry not goal saved uh game score value added still has him as like a top 10 player after you know a by his standards relatively poor start so i i i do i do think that matthews has is like still very clearly in that top two at least in my opinion i am biased here uh, yeah no i absolutely agree with you even though i am myself also biased but uh yeah it's I think the reality is Matthew set such an obscenely high bar of goal scoring last year that it didn't kind of set us up to accommodate any kind of shooting slump to start the year, which is what he had. And I'm not convinced that there's any reason for that other than variance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It, it, it's, he's still just, you know, absurdly, <laughs> absurdly good. Um, I think your choice of, of left wing is good with Matthew Kachuk. I might mm-hmm. go Jason Robertson. Interesting. Yeah, well, there's a case. I mean, first of all, it's just like a goals party if you put McDavid and Matthews and Robertson all in one line. Mm-hmm. And that is the name of the game. Yes, and I mean, you have a, another important thing. Robertson, rooting for him, only if he want to kill myself. <laughs> important consideration. <laughs> yeah, And he also does bring a lot of... So, Kachuk is certainly more physical mm-hmm. and more dirty than, than Jason Robertson and and brings you know but it does generally genuinely bring a, a pretty uh useful physical element into into his game right he's he's I, you once described him as like if Brad Marchand was 6'2 and I yep. think that's an incredibly accurate way to to describe him um Robertson is no wallflower no he is very dogged on the puck he has great mobility he has a great sense of where to be and playing with Matthews and McDavid, he's going to capitalize, you know, very, very heavily. So I, I, I think Robertson deserves a shout. That's fair. And Matthews and Robertson are both good puck protection players. Mm-hmm. Like they're hard, hard to knock off at given their size and their strength. And so you have McDavid, who's the preeminent rush player on the planet. And then you have two guys who can kind of play keep away in the offensive zone. You're sort of ready for whatever. So, yeah, very few wrong answers on this one to some extent, because I think once you get those best players on there, 
you are justified in filling out the roster kind of however um yeah you took the next one yes so next question is estimate the next contracts for matthews nylander marner and tavares since we're about six months from two of them getting extended that is from hard and a fellow uh, ppp writer so this is really really hard um forecasting contracts is difficult in general uh, it's easier for Matthews and Nylander because they're not so, so far away from their uh, their extensions, hopeful extensions anyways. It's significantly harder for Marner and Tavares because there's another year variance to bake in there. Um, I went with... So these are totally like random guesses. I did like very little research on this. These are like totally vibes picks. Uh, Matthews, I went eight years by 13.34 million. I like it. So that would make him the highest... Well. Yeah, I would make him the highest paid player in the league when it when it occurs. It's like a reasonable lift above where he, he is now. I think this might actually be low. Mm. Especially with... So this year, the cap will likely only go up by a million, it seems. But it seems the years afterwards, it's expected to go up by like four million or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, in each of the next two subsequent seasons. I can see Matthews and his camp arguing for 14 or 15 based on that. Yeah, and the reality is that if it comes down to it, the Leafs are going to give him a lot. Um, he's too good of an impact player. And, you know, all these things that might concern you say, okay, can you build a team paying this much to one guy? The injury history has not been perfect, all that sort of stuff. That doesn't really matter for a player of his caliber, just because you will have no hope whatsoever of replacing him. Right, like what? What's the choice? We let we let him go to L.A. or whatever, and we're no longer contenders. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's pretty much pretty much that simple. Like you sign Matthews and you kind of figure out the rest later. Yeah, it's just that's how how you have to operate. So, Nylander, uh, I said six years by nine million. Again, I don't really have a great. I think the Pasternak contract, which uh, is coming up this off season, I believe, will be a pretty good benchmark. But I really don't know. Uh, Nylander's obviously imp- had a couple strong seasons between last year and, and this one, right? So he's making a good case for himself to, to get into the, the you know, nine-plus range. Uh, he'll still be young enough that six years— that, that like, he might want to have a slightly shorter contract to get on the market in his, like, early 30s as opposed to um, kind of mid to late 30s. Although, I guess, how old will he be at that point? I don't. I would. Yeah. Actually, I mean, if I were his agent, I would be telling him to go for eight. If he yeah. No, that's true. I know. I think you're right. I think I might have miscalculated on this. Like he, he might he might prefer like an eight by, yeah, eight, eight by whatever instead of, of what I put here. But these numbers are entirely made up, as I said. So you know, you you get what you pay for. <laughs> Tavares, I think, is way 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 harder because it depends. I don't think he's going to get extended. I think no. Tavares goes to free agency and it probably stays with the Leafs but mm-hmm. I don't think we extended before time before that time because like you kind of really want the last year of information before you make a, a deal about uh, before you make a, an offer to sign someone who will be in his like mid-30s yeah and the reality is if this team doesn't contend or isn't contending presumably because Matthews has left maybe Tavares wants to go somewhere else to cup chase yeah absolutely and, and I mean you couldn't you, you couldn't say he owes us anything no, he's, he's already done as much as you could hope on this. Yeah, he's, he's done. He's done his job. Yeah, um, Marner, I said eight by thirteen, mm. basically slightly less than Matthews, but not a whole huge amount less. Um, additional year of cap inflation baked in because his expires a year after Matthews's does. Yeah, so 
There you have it. I think that those are all pretty reasonable guesses, certainly from where we're sitting right now. Um, this next one was interesting, even though it's very hard to answer. Yeah, I had a really hard time answering this. This is from Bry Gray, or maybe Bree Gray. I apologize um, if, if these are not the preferred pronunciations of that. So the Leafs had 12 defensemen play for them this year. If you need to create four forward lines out of them, who would play center, who would play wings, and who would play, you know, lines one through four? I have no fucking clue how to answer this question. How, how the hell do I know which one of these guys is good at playing center? I think the only, like, so I'll say the lines and, like, what little justification I have for them. Okay. Uh, my first line was Riley, Sandine, Brody, uh, with Sandine playing center. I figured Riley, you really clearly want him as a winger. He would be a defensive disaster as a center. Um, you could say you might want Brody as a center. And I think that's, that's justifiable as well. Um, but I don't know. I feel like Sandine has the has a bit better puck skills. He's better at the short, quick passes out of the zone. I feel like that's important for the center. Uh, Brody, I think, I see him more as like a, a rugged defensive winger. Mm. Right. Okay. Second line, I have Muzzin Giordano Hall. I don't know what I was thinking here, to be honest. This feels like it could be a pretty intense checking line. Yeah, I feel like that's it. We're really losing a lot on skating here, though. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the David Kampf line made of defensemen. Yeah. Um, the third line, Mete, Lohjegren, Ben. I, I, putting Mete was, was sort of difficult because I just don't think he's very good. He's not, but actually I like what you did with this here, and I'll tell you why. Mete's one inarguable asset is he's a really good skater yeah one of Liljegren's assets is he's a really good stretch passer so maybe you have some sort of rush offense of yeah the, the left my idea was sort of go for the home run passes yeah. here and then Jordy Bench just kind of hanging out <laughs> <laughs> getting mad at the youths um, I mean maybe so this was I answered this question before we had seen very much of Connor Timmons maybe I put Timmons up here because Timmons has shown some passing abilities so maybe you just kind of go with like a sheltered offense line here and drop Ben to the fourth line which would, with, mm-hmm. which would be Philip Crawl, Mac Hollowell and Jordy Ben which is literally just Jordy Ben trying to protect these really defensively weak players <laughs> trying to save the children I think Crawl could grow into his own but yeah I mean Hollowell is limited you know what I think the challenges for this exercise is that most defensemen are not very adept shooters. Mm-hmm. At most, they have like a cannon one-timer like Muzzin does sometimes. But they don't shoot at NHL winger level because shooting is a big separator skill for any top two, six winger. And so I, it's actually easier for me to imagine some of these players playing center as puck distributors. Like you can sort of see Sandine doing it or mm-hmm. something like that. But the question is, who's actually going to put the puck in the net? And even Riley, who has scored by far the most goals of this contingent, um, actually over Giordano's career, that may not be true. But certainly, I think Riley is the best goal-scoring threat now. But he's not like a a gunner. No, not at all. So, yeah, we're trying to score on floaty wristers that sort of sneak through traffic. And this is also one of the—we talked about Makar earlier. This is one of the cheat code things about Makar, which is like— He's a defender who just shoots really, really, really well. And yeah. it's like, it's sort of a miracle that he wasn't turned into a forward at any point. Yeah, I, because I think that there's a natural bias in hockey, which is that you put a lot of your best players towards forward in the development process because you make more of an impact there. Um, and yeah, somehow Makar didn't get streamed in that direction. Bit of a Bobby Orr situation. Anyway, yeah, so... I think this is actually a very good thought-provoking question, even though it's very hard to answer. 
because I mean, the reality is learning a new position would be extremely difficult at the NHL level, but... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, next question from Alex Scotian. Uh, How deeply would Morgan's future if you could add a fully healthy and in their prime MGK line to this roster? Uh, So that's uh, Clark MacArthur, Mikhail Grabowski, and Nikolai Kuhleman. Yes, and so according to my name, I have to say everything. <laughs> but my actual answer was the next two first-round picks. Yeah, so I guess it depends a bit on the parameters of the of how we're adding. If we're just saying they're ported onto the roster, like, and they all have you know essentially minimum cap hits. Yeah, so that's what, so, I, that's what I figured is like a dra- uh, trade deadline addition, and then they're gone in the summer. Yeah, so so minimum cap hits. I, I think it's actually really really valuable. Um, mm. A prime MacArthur Grabowski Kuhlman line would easily i think be the best third line in the nhl they were like a okay second line in their peak mm-hmm. right or maybe like a below average second line but like th- that becomes a very very good third line mm-hmm. um it gives you a lot of insurance against injuries actually i f- i actually sort of feel like if you if, we, if at least actually got all these three players they wouldn't play together you'd actually put macarthur up on the second line with whichever of the you know star centers is not playing with bunting yeah, I think there's a very good argument for that. MacArthur's been forgotten as a bit of a power forward impact, but he was good at that. Um, more he had so multiple 20-goal years, didn't he? Like, a, a, yeah. in, a, in a lower-scoring environment. And you know what? Uh, Cam Chiron, uh, who was a blogger and then worked for the Leafs and is now back in the blogging game, uh, I remember when the Leafs were poised to sign David Clarkson, he said they should keep Clark MacArthur to get better results from the same sort of role for a lot less money. And... Needless to say, everything that happened after that kind of validated him, even mm-hmm. though MacArthur's uh, career ended in a string of injuries. So did Clarkson's. Um, yes. Yeah, but uh, I, I mean, this would appeal f- for sentimental reasons as much as anything else. But yeah, I think you would end it with a very deep roster. And I was initially thinking I would give up even more than this, but then I started weighing it and I was like, okay, if it's a trade deadline rental and you're giving up a first for a third line player... I start to wonder if that's the greatest sort of one-to-one thing. As you say, you'd probably put them in as a top six thing. But I decided to sort of hold the line at two firsts, um, which I think is reasonable. Yeah, I think the other benefit of getting this is, like, now you have, like, Pierre Engvall playing on your fourth line. Pierre Engvall yeah. would be, like, one of the best fourth liners in the league. Your fourth right? line is, like, Engvall, Kampf, and Kerfoot. I don't know foot sure which is like bon- that's a ridiculous that's an absurd fourth line like that will dominate yeah. other fourth lines absolutely you would stunt on fools so yeah i mean there's a really good argument you should just say you know fuck it rings fly forever um yeah okay so this next one is from toronto adam it's undeniable that the leaf teams of the last pa- oh sorry of the past half decade are some of the most talented we've ever seen specific wording intentional why do you think the Leafs would... Sorry, who do you think the Leafs would... Wow. I am having a lot more trouble with this question than I have any excuse to. Who do you think would win a playoff series if these Leafs of the past five years were matched up against the 0102 Leafs or the 92-93 Leafs? So both of those were teams that made it to the conference finals. Um, the 93 team was infamously knocked out by Gretzky. That's the Gary Fraser missed call that the generation before us is still mad about. And uh, 0102, the Leafs were knocked out in the conference finals by Archer's Urbe and the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, to be honest, it, I think so. I wasn't around for 92 uh, yeah. 93, but mm-hmm. even if the Leafs get past the Hurricanes, I don't see them beating the Red Wings. 
Yeah, the Red Wings had something like 11 Hall of Famers on that roster. It was... Like, if you were trying to argue why this league needed a salary cap and you didn't just want to admit the real reason, which is to suppress player salaries, you would point to the 0102 Red Wings and say, how the hell does anyone compete with that? But, uh... Like, you always yeah. have a chance because it's hockey, mm-hmm. but, you know, the that Red Wings team was would would have been, would have been the heavy favorites over the Leafs. Yeah, we would have needed, a, a, like, a massive goalie run. And uh, the Hurricanes got nuked in the finals, so that was the end of that. Um... To answer this question, and I have to lawyer it a little bit, I have to ask what conditions the league is being played under for this match. Because the standard of play is generally higher, in my opinion. Like, it's more of a skill game than it was 20 or 30 years ago. But it also used to be legal to obstruct the hell out of players. You had the red line that applied for a two-line pass rule. Um, It was much dirtier and more physical. The 2002 Leafs were also like a dirty team. Even by the standards of the era. Yes. And I'm not sure if that's quite as well remembered by Leaf fans. I mean, some of them remember it very fondly, and they think we need... We were absolutely the bad guys. Oh, like, really bad guys. And, like, Domi and Tucker and those guys. And, you know, effective hockey players, but they did some shit, man. And so, if it's played under those standards where you can be sort of murderous, I think the 2002 team has... And a decisive advantage just because it's their home turf, so to speak, and the game is tailored to their style of playing. Um, conversely, I think if you play it under modern rules, I think the modern team wins. Um, I kind of wonder if this question is mostly aimed at saying, okay, is there something missing in terms of heart or soul or something like that in the modern team that the other teams had, which enabled them to win playoff rounds? Um I don't know. I find that hard to prove. I tend to doubt it. Um, And I say that with the greatest respect for Gary Roberts, who I think could bench press a bus if he had to. But I don't see that this team is actually that morally deficient for what it's worth. So a bit of a hedge answer, but... I think it's always... I know, like, it's an unsatisfying answer in some ways, but I don't think there's a logical way to answer this otherwise. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'll say that I say they're close enough that I think yeah. whoever gets to determine the rules wins the game. Yeah. Um, next question from M McKinnis sixty eight. Will they win a goddamn round this year? I mean, you know, <laughs> who knows, right? Flip a coin. Yeah. Um, so their first round opponent is like quite likely to be one of Florida or Tampa. The Leafs. I mean, I don't want to say the division is out of reach already, but like we're I think six points behind Boston. They have two games in hand. Even if you think we're roughly similar teams, uh, yeah. well, it's just hard to overcome that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think, I'm not sure if Florida's actually in a playoff spot yet. Detroit might still be holding on. I don't think that's going to hold up. No, Detroit's I... gotten kind of lucky to start the season. And Detroit has been, like, scuffling pretty hard lately. Yeah, their like... schedule's kind of become significantly harder. They have not really risen to the challenge. 2-6-2 two, and two in their last 10. Ouch. Mm. So, yeah, we're likely facing... I think the most likely outcome right now is another Tampa series. Um, if it's anything like the last Tampa series, that's a coin flip. Yeah. Like, I, I think... And I'm not the first person to make this insight. You can't build a team under modern NHL conditions that is an 80-20 favorite over the Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't think that that's doable. I don't think any team is. And so, unfortunately, it's like, the, the will you win a round? It's like, well... Maybe not. 
Like, there's going to be an appreciable chance that they lose, even if they do everything right. So, yeah. Hopefully, I guess. <laughs> um, so this is another one that we both answered. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Totally Offside, it's a, a double-barrel question. Who is your bargain bin Leafs trade target, and who is your high-end Leafs trade target? Um, so I said in the bargain bin, I'm looking at Andreas Athanasiu. He's got one year uh, in Chicago uh, at $3 million. However, the Hawks aren't doing very much of great importance, so I think for a pick you could get them to retain. Um, he hasn't had the greatest start to the year, but I do like the idea of adding some rush offense to this team that is generally pretty cycle-heavy and doesn't score a lot on its lower lines. There is some risk that I would be messing with the alignment of those lines, so take that what you will, but... I think that he would be a good addition and he wouldn't break the bank. Um, Bo Horvat is sort of, I guess, the high-end acquisition, but I will be honest, I'm probably not going to want to pay what he would cost. Uh, yeah, I have kind of zero interest in Bo Horvat, not because he's a bad player. He's clearly a very good player, but yeah, with the year he's having. And, I mean, also, weirdly, Vancouver, there's reporting now that Vancouver seems to want, like, a hockey trade here. So, like, which is like, okay, first off, what the fuck? Um, but like the, the Leafs are just clearly not a fit for that. So I think neither for... is anyone though, for the no, record, that's like, because <laughs> <that's laughs> it's an insane premise for a trade. Anyway, like, I mean, like, look, the Canucks have never mentally accepted that they would ever need to rebuild. So why would they start now? But at some point it's like, they're going to, <laughs> they're doing a really good job wasting a very good player in Elias Pedersen. Two very good players, Quinn Hughes. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Sorry, you were saying... <laughs> yeah, so my high-end pick was Timo Meyer, um, mm. And I've been dreaming about this because Timo Meyer is very good. And he is the type of player who would actually fit like a glove on the left wing of, you know, whichever of the Leafs' top lines you want to put him on. He is physical. He gets to the net. He shoots from the front of the net. He scores. He is, you know, no pushover by any stretch. He has some size. He is just a damn good player. Now, the complicating issue here, aside from the fact that, like, let's say the, this issue that I'm about to bring up does not exist, he would still cost a lot. He, he's, he'd be a premium rental. He, I think he's the best player on the rental market this year. Yes, and I don't think that he's super underrated. Like, no, maybe I think, a little bit, I, I but think people everyone, know he's very good. Everyone recognizes that Timo Meyer is good. Yeah. All right. Um, so we have, like, kind of no hope of re-signing him. All right, that's, that's the one thing. Like, you can, I don't know, maybe you could torture your way into this. Um, you'd have to trade certainly Kerfoot, certainly Hall. Bunting is gone. No hope of retaining him. You would have the basically the five forwards that you're thinking of. Riley, you'd have to you'd have to get rid of Muzzin. Actually, does Muzzin expire this year? I forget. No, he has one no. more year left. So, 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 so you LTIR him. So you LTIR Muzzin. You maybe have to like get rid of, you know, basically you, uh, anyone who has a non-minimum cap it like Engvall gone can't retain him. Right. Yeah, um, like, I, I actually, you know what, this turned out to be another question. Mm-hmm. Um, someone asked, like, how do we retain? So I will bring up my answer to that and jump ahead a bit. Go for um, it. The substance of my answer was, this was uh, Mingo Leafs said, what will it take to fit Timo Meyer's $10 million qualifying offer next year? Because mm-hmm. Meyer has the $10 million QO. Yeah, that was the part I was getting yeah. to. Or, like, even if, like, he also has the $10 million QO, which, which makes it harder to retain him. Because... Yeah if you don't give him a very good contract offer or, or like if he's, you know, 
even if he you give him an okay contract offer, he might just be like, well, you know, I'm pretty young. I might just take 10 million this year and then be a UFA and have a big market in a higher yes. cap environment. And needless to say, if you don't qualify him at 10 million, he's a UFA. So yes. you lose him anyway. So yeah, th- there's a very good argument that he should just do this. This was um, one of the granddaddies of the kick in the tail uh, sort of thing that uh, a lot of contracts around this time had. Debrinket had a similar structure. Debrinket, I think Matthew Kachuk. Kachuk, Patrick Laine, um, and I think Pierre-Luc Dubois. But uh, yeah, anyway, so for these bridge contracts, they would have a lower dollar value, but they peaked in the third year. And the qualifying offer coming out of them to keep the Mazzara phase was very high. And so that's what's happened with Meyer, where he has a $6 million cap hit, but the qualifying offer coming down is $10 million. By the way, this actually became such a trend that the league made a rule moderating it. Um, the qualifying offer is now less than it was before. It's not 100%, but that doesn't affect Meyer. Anyway, so how do we keep him if we get him? I said you basically have to either trade one of the big four, and presumably it's Nylander, or you have the cheapest bottom six of all time. It is not inconceivable to get a really cheap bottom six, but it precludes even kind of mid-tier salary guys like Pierre Engvall. Like, you are going budget all the way. Even, like, one David Kampf-level guy who makes $1.5 million becomes a real strain on your roster. The Leafs would, like, might have to trade Kali Yarncroke if they, if they did this. Yes, yeah, it, um, it starts to become a real issue. Um, to be clear, you can do this if you really want to. Um, it's just a question of do you really want to and what happens in 2024-25 um, when you start having to deal with these massive extensions for Matthews and or Nylander. Um, because then you really start to feel the pinch. Like, it, it would be really leaning into this bed of core forwards that we've made. Yeah, you can tort yourself into a pretty uncomfortable position very fast. Um, the other thing is, so let's say we accept we cannot really retain Timo Meyer. Mm-hmm. Well, to win the bidding war to get him, you have to outbid teams who presumably can re-sign him and want to re-sign him mm-hmm. and are probably therefore willing to give up more to get him because getting his RFA rights is actually kind of meaningful for them. Whereas for us, it's like, okay, well, what do we do here? Yeah. So he's worth more to them than he is to us, and we would still have to pay more than they do to acquire him. It yes. starts getting tight. <laughs> it does. So, um, anyways, that this is a another instance of back to excited ruining your dreams, basically. <laughs> um, on the lower end, someone I'd be interested in, Dylan Strome. Uh, Washington may or may not be a seller at the deadline. He'd add additional center depth. Uh, I would like to see him on the wing, actually. He is not the best skater, but he has blossomed into a pretty reasonable second line-ish player. Um, And I think having more center depth is always helpful, especially in the case of injuries. And having more guys who can take face-offs is always just like a genuinely, generally sort of useful thing. Uh, My last answer was Gustav Nyquist. We play results recently. He's, I think, 34 on Columbus, but he does have some finishing talent. He could possibly plug that. Second nine left wing hole. Not super jazzed about him, but again, if you're shopping in the low end of the market, you're not getting superstars. Yeah, and it's all about, you know, making the right little bets. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's probably what the Leafs will do. I know Elliot Friedman said that a defenseman might be in the offing, but I look at this roster and I'm like, I don't want to do that. Well, the, basically, it's like the defenseman has to pass the hall line. 
Yes. Right? They have to be better than Justin Hall. If they're worse than Justin Hall, well, we have seven defensemen or six defensemen worse than Justin Hall. Yeah. And it's like, what's the point of, of any of that? Oh, also, just because I want to put this out there somewhere, I don't think it was a question. Y'all realize Justin Hall is probably getting a raise, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whether from Toronto or somewhere yeah. else. Not like everyone's like lambasting him as if he's worth nothing. And I'm like, okay, watch what happens. I'm not saying it's going to be a huge raise, but he's a right defenseman who's played hard minutes. He's not small. Somebody will give him some money. Well, and he's probably... Uh, like People will, will look at the tape of the last few weeks with the Leafs being very injured, where Justin Hall has been you know, kind of a de facto top-pairing guy with, with Mark Giordano. And be okay. This this guy survived here. Yeah, like someone will give him two million, two point five, three million, maybe more. So, stay tuned for that. Um, okay, which I I can take this. Which would the okay. podcast do first? Number one, accept a crypto sponsorship. Number two, accept a sports gambling sponsorship. Note my flicker of hope for humanity has not gone out in part. Uh, thanks to a lack of obnoxious advertising on your pod. That's from Konomo sixteen. Well, Konomo sixteen. Thank you. Thank you. But if you also want to reignite your flicker for humanity, I have a sports betting site for you. <laughs> um, Bet365. Yeah. So this is not a promotion for Bet365. They didn't pay me. and I don't like them. Yes. Uh, so I, I guess slightly behind the scenes, I don't think I would legally be allowed to make a to like ha- to, to have a sponsorship for a gambling, a sports gambling uh, company. Mm. It would, it would get me into, like, legal hot water for my employer and also U.S. Customs because I'm in the U.S. on a, on a visa where I, am, I have a specific employer and I am not allowed to have money that comes from not that employer. Yes. And I do not want to get deported. Yeah. I, I think that those are all, like, pretty reasonable positions to take, especially regarding our podcast that is mostly just us shooting the shit on Sunday mornings. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you prioritize your job over that? Um. I will say, in theory, and again, look, I don't look. I don't see us ever doing ads. On this I, I, I mean, it's like I got to be honest. If no one has reached out to us at this point, like when yeah. with all the money in sports betting, it's not happening. You have nothing to worry about. Yeah. If you're, <laughs> they were like, no, there's got to be a line somewhere, and these like, guys like, are underneath. Everything's that. getting sponsored by sports betting, but even they're like, eh, we don't really need back too excited. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like. I, I will say it's probably not going to happen. For what it's worth, I do have some modest amount of sympathy for the people who do take those advertisements. And I'm not talking about like Sportsnet or something, but I am also saying like, if you're trying to make any money in this, oh yeah, it's, field, which we aren't, yeah, and that kind of frees us up to say, yeah, we're just going to do whatever we feel like. But if you actually want to make money at this, it's really really hard, and that's one of the few avenues to do it. So I'm not bagging on anyone who, who makes a tough choice there. If you put a gun to my head in this hypothetical, I would probably take a sports gambling sponsorship over a crypto sponsorship because I think they're both gambling, but crypto has a pretense to being not gambling and is more pernicious because of that. So that's the most I can say with it. Again, not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, from Michael Zanette, how much credit do you think Curtis Sanford deserves for the excellent goaltending the Leafs have got to date? Should the Leafs consider playing the theme from Sanford and Son after every win where the goalie played well? Well, they should just do that anyways. Um, I think that's a great idea. 
But, I mean, this is basically impossible to answer. Uh, and actually, Fulman and I were chatting a little bit before we, we started recording, and the last two games, the Leafs goaltending has, like, not been phenomenal. <laughs> and it's only two Nobody games. It's, yeah, it's only two games, but it's, like, maybe the part of the roller coaster where you're, like, oh, we're slowing down. Are we getting to the top? Is this Are we about to go down? Right? Um, yeah. So, anyways, the, the short answer is it's impossible to tell how much credit he should get. Right. This is just a general problem in evaluating coaches where we only see the outputs and not the inputs. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, I mean, frankly, if I saw the inputs, like if you live streamed all of Curtis Sanford's, you know, coaching to the goaltenders, it's not like I would have any clue what to do with that. But like, all right, cool. That seemed useful. I don't know. I don't know shit. Yeah. Like, I hope it does. Yeah. And I think I will say in terms of this pod and our general level of professionalism, which is not that high. Let's be honest, um, but I do think that goaltending analysis is still something that is mostly beyond us. That like we do it numerically. Um, my eye test for goalies is not worth a hell of a lot, and I'm I try to be conscious of that. Um, I can say that I've been encouraged by how Murray looks in the net this year. Like he looks to me like someone who's staying engaged with the play. Um, I'm impressed with him positionally. I haven't seen um, him playing too deep in his net, which was the knock on him before. And there's obvious reason to believe that, you know, as long as he's healthy, he can be better than the worst of his reputation in Ottawa. Um, Big if. Beyond that, you know, we know that Curtis Sanford has uh, a prior connection with Matt Murray, and maybe that helped make it a strong environment. I'm sure it was a factor in what the Leafs did. Um... But yeah, it's uh, it's very difficult to evaluate, and even the very best um, goalies and evaluators of talent can turn on a dime. Y- you know how many good goaltenders have suddenly appeared to be bad one year to the next. Mm-hmm. So. Pretty much. Um, from the Gib one, if the Leafs have a chance at passing Boston late in the year, would you rather they played hard to take first in the division or rest guys but have to face Tampa again? Um, I think they should basically always go for the division as long as it's like re- as long as it's possible, effectively. Um, it's not really obvious to me. There's a large benefit to to resting guys. There's like a whole rest versus rust debate, which I don't think has ever really been satisfactorily answered within sports. Uh, I mean, it depends on the parameters, of course. Like if mm-hmm. if the Leafs are down, uh, let's say like two points to Boston with like one game to go. And, like, I don't know, Boston play. I don't know, this is... I, I've just thought of this example randomly, so I don't know what the tiebreakers are necessarily. But, like, if, if it would require some absurd, like, we need to win by, like, 35 or whatever to win, or we need yeah. to go, like, 8-0, and Boston needs to go, like, 1-7 and seven in, la- in our last eight games, then, yeah, maybe you start, like, giving people, you know, some days off. But, like, while you still have, like, a reasonable shot at it, I think you kind of owe it to yourself to, to try. Yeah, I my answer was the only reason to rest guys is if they're legit injured and can be expected to heal meaningfully with a week or two off. Like, if they really need time off, give them time off is what I'm saying. Um, but for its own sake, like, I think that, uh, you know, if you're going to rest these guys, basically they have to be out of reach. Um, Boston has to be beyond possible to catch. Otherwise, you're going to play to the wire. Um this is nice. Every time I've done this forever, Super Maurice has just asked, how are you doing? It's just, it's just polite. And I think that that's very kind of him. Um, 
I'm doing well. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Super I am nurse. a bit of a Grinch. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I don't always love the Christmas season, um, but I'm powering through and trying to get in the festive spirit. So. Uh, friend of the pod, Seldo, asks, what are you doing with all your non-blogging free time? That feels uh, pointed at me, maybe, because <laughs> I haven't... I, I resigned as a writer at PPP just because I felt I had probably written most of what I need to write and what content I had to go on this podcast. Uh, I try and write fiction, believe it or not. So no one will ever read it, but it makes me happy. So that's what I do with all of my spare time. Um, how many times have the Leafs made you cry, if any, by Thomas R. Henn? It might be Thomas. It might be Thomas Wren. Yep. Yeah, you know what? Sorry, Thomas. Uh, I'm just sort of freeballing on pronunciations here. Alternatively, it could um, be Tom Asren. <laughs> we'll never know. Yeah, I, I mean, it could be T. Thomas Wren. We just, we don't know. Anyway. Um, I've never cried that I can recall at a Leaf game. However, this is the answer to why 2013 was the laugh season. When the Leafs started blowing that lead, I was in a den with my uh my buddy and we were watching the hockey game and you know like having a couple of beers and i just started laughing and by the end of the overtime i was almost cackling like the like the wicked witch of the west <laughs> like i was just like i and i kept thinking of course of course and i just kept laughing and my buddy was like i honestly thought that you'd gone insane and uh I don't know if that's better or worse than crying because it's probably not a great representation of my stability, but it just seemed so, so fitting for the Leafs to do something like that. So Yeah, I don't think I've ever cried due to the, maybe when I was a kid, I don't, I don't know. I don't have any vivid memories of, of crying due to a Leafs yeah. game. I, I feel like at this point, we're pretty inured to it. Yeah, I mean, we lost to the friggin' Habs. Yeah, I, I don't think it's really yeah. going to get worse than that, but I'm sure we'll find a way this year. Yeah, I know. We, we, <laughs> all things are possible. Our next question from friend of the pod, Jake Beliefs. Would you rather have 2022 Cody Cece and Tyson Berry be your third pair, or 2022 Joe Thornton and Patrick Maroon, and 2019 Thomas Placanich be your third line? Um, these are some favorites of... Uh, the podcast particularly on the defense pairing um on pure player quality it has to be cc and barry the only real case for that third line is if we're accounting for the salary cap um i mean with cc and barry like this is not that far from what edmonton has yes and if there's a team you want to emulate it's the edmonton Oilers. but yeah no i like cc barry is a legitimate nhl third pairing yeah well i like i i watched an edmonton game i forget maybe it was against the wild or something recently and their top pairing was was Nurse Cece. Yeah, and that's not okay. Right, and, and to me, <laughs> yeah, but like Barry and Barry was like on their I don't know second or third pair or something. It's like okay, well, like like that's that's a, that's a setup that they would play. I mean, yeah, I guess you wouldn't necessarily play because they're both right defensemen. But yeah, um, yeah, like it, they're they're at least NHL quality defensemen. They are not going to destroy your team if you if you play them, especially in a third pair. Yeah, and whereas Joe Thornton is no longer an NHL player. Um, period um patrick maroon <laughs> is getting close thomas placanich was on the way out of the league in 2019 um i think that third line would be literally unplayable so as much as i make fun of tyson berry i gotta go with the defense pairing 
Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, okay, for the next question, this is from Virtue John. Uh, is the forward buy-in to a defensive style that doesn't cheat for offense legit? Is it a product of goaltending or compensating for the losses at D? Have we seen it before like this? I feel like we haven't. Uh, what are the chances we see it in May? Um, so my answer is they do legitimately seem to be blocking more shots. And at the risk of stating the obvious here, Mark Giordano is still a top four defenseman and they've added him and it's dope as hell. But a lot of the difference that we are perceiving still looks to me like it's goaltending. I'm not saying it's all goaltending. I'm saying that that streak the Leafs were getting very good goaltending pretty much every night. The last two games, they haven't gotten it, and suddenly things don't look so hot. I'm not saying that it's going to go all the way bad or anything like that. I'm just saying that that makes a huge difference in how they look. Yeah, I haven't checked the numbers, but the Leafs were not like a bad defensive team last no. year, right? And we, we've talked a lot about how the Leafs' bottom six is like pretty offensively limited, but the reason they're NHL players is because they're defensively quite talented. Yeah, the idea that the Leafs are bad defensively is a partial reflection of the fact that some of the chances they give up are still more rush-based, and partly because some people haven't updated their vision of this team in several years. But they were actually good defensively last year, I think, at least for an ordinary level of good. I'm not saying they were superstars, but they were good. And I think they are good again. So, yeah. Um, So I don't know if this bodes that the Leafs are going to be more dangerous when the playoffs roll around but i have to emphasize this point that i've made before i don't think last playoffs reflected badly on toronto i think if you go toe-to-toe with the tampa bay lightning you are a contender and that is not shameful to lose to them by one goal Uh, i know this sounds like cope to a lot of people but if i'm going to evaluate the team honestly that's where i end up so i think it's good but i think that it's already there and we're just sort of hoping that the goaltending is hot at the right time Mm-hmm. I guess the one thing I'll say about that is like, I mean, I, so I, I agree in large part, but the, we've still, in the situation where the Leafs should have been heavy favorites, they still haven't done shit. Yeah. Right. And like that, I think that still, that still impacts my view of them to some degree. Mm-hmm. This is still, you know, in large part, the team that didn't have, didn't have it against Montreal and took their foot off the gas to some extent against Montreal um, especially in like this, the first part of game six and wasn't able to get really to the front of the net at all in game seven, you know, that, that still matters. So like they, they did very well against a very tough team in Tampa, but they've kind of failed all their tests against bad teams. Yes. At least in, in the playoffs. And that, that still matters yeah. to me. And like, if the Leafs somehow do pass Boston and they draw whoever, um, a lower seed is from the wild card and they lose, um, this team is going to get at least partly blown up. Dubas will be gone. Mm-hmm. Keith might be gone. Neilander will probably be traded. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, the stakes are kind of high. Um, You meet Mephisto at a Christmas party, and he tells you he will guarantee a Leaf Stanley Cup victory. But in exchange, you must give your soul, which in this case means never being able to tweet anything funny again. What do you do? And the equivalent question for Arby. This is from Leafs on Grass. Um, I would make this trade in one second and then delete my Twitter account. Yeah, I, I don't tweet much at all, so this is a very easy one. Yeah, I, I, like I will say in all honesty, sometimes I have thought I should delete my Twitter account anyway because it's just sort of a thing that I ought to do. Um, but I would absolutely do it in exchange for this. So, 
Um, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, three years from now, who are the Leafs coach, GM, and highest paid player from O-Dog's assistant? Um, I don't think this is the most likely answer, but it's... Like, the like I would take the field of on GM and coach, for example, but uh, just for the reason that Fool mentioned that, like, if we have a bad playoff run this year, like, they're probably, they could both be gone. But I just don't know who it would necessarily be. So I went with the obvious answers of Keith Dubas Matthews. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Arvin's answer is basically right, but I thought I would throw in a few names just to keep it lively. Um, Spencer Carberry, currently an assistant coach with the Leafs, is well-viewed. If Keefe gets fired, especially during a season, it wouldn't stun me to see him promoted. Um, even in the offseason, I think he would be, at least be a candidate. For a general manager, I mentioned Mike Gillis. Mike Gillis built uh, a very, very competitive Vancouver team. He hasn't gotten a GM job back. Apparently, he can be a little bit abrasive, but he's a very innovative guy, and he's a creative thinker. And I would want someone who is going to think outside the box to move this team forward. I will tell you the truth. If you gave me the option today, I would give Kyle Dubas an extension. And I know that he hasn't won a playoff round, but I think he's a good GM and I would keep him. Um, and then for the highest paid player, if it's not Matthews, it is going to be Marner. Um, yeah. I think Marner probably is going to be a lifer, but we'll see. Yep, I agree. Okay. Uh, so the Leafs let Dubas walk next summer and you get to pick his replacement. However, you can only choose a former NHL player for the job. Who is your pick? And it cannot be Jason Spezza. That's from Nick Steinberg. I went with Joe Sack. <laughs> we both were just sort of like, we are going to vulture other franchises. And I said, I took Steve Eiserman. Mm-hmm. Are you happy now, Red Wings fans who yelled at me all over the summer? Um, yeah, the truth is, is that the very good ex-player GMs that occur to me are still employed in some capacity with NHL teams. And I'm more mm-hmm. skeptical of most ex-player GMs because they have such an obvious leg up. Um, despite it not being that useful necessarily to be a good player and then a good GM. Like, the skills aren't necessarily related that that closely. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one from Alex Goshen. If the forward group is healthy come playoff time, where, if anywhere, can put Matthew Nees in the lineup? How would you let an NCAA player in his situation earn your deadline plan? plan. He should not affect our dead plans at all. Sorry, it's Nyes, isn't it? Not Nyes. I always mess that up. Um... Yeah, Nye should not really impact our deadline plans whatsoever. If possible, I think we should get him some games, uh, and then everything else should be up to him. We should not bank on him being a useful part of the Leafs this season. If he turns out to be really awesome, then that's great, and we can adjust after the fact, but I am not going to hinge deadline plans of on an NCAA player at this point, who is not like a, you know blue chip prospect yeah uh i i can't agree with that more it's just as good and exciting as he is he's not playing professional hockey right now and he could be dominating that to a pretty remarkable extent and i still would not trust that he'd be able to do it in the nhl especially um in the heat of a playoff series against a good team um i i I will confess it worries me a little bit how i've heard nice discussed as sort of a a job we have to keep open as opposed to upgrading now get who you think is going to be the best player now at the deadline and if nice comes in and beats him so much the better but i don't bank on it um yeah you you took this next one so sure from uh stoveman 
Second question, because I'm greedy, what main NHL award Hart, Art Ross, Vesna, Norris, Selkie, Jack Adams do you think is most likely to be next one by Alif? I also assume that the Rocket is in there because the Art Rosses, um, and I think they're like equal levels of nature. So I think the obvious answer is Hart or Rocket, just because Matthews is like a threat for both in any given year. Yeah. I don't really think we have great candidates for the other ones. Matthews can maybe win a Selkie at some point in the future. I don't think he, he probably won't win it this year. His defensive numbers are like, I think, solid. Uh, and his goals against numbers are, are phenomenal, but he doesn't PK. And I think that's just going to like hurt him in the voters' eyes. Uh, Norris, no one really in contention there. Vesna, as much as people are like kind of memeing on Twitter about Samsonov and Murray splitting the Vesna this year, uh, I don't think they're a realistic no threat for it either nor is anyone who succeeds them yeah oh and i guess marner could win the selkie as well but that's also part of the next question from stopen also um does mitch have any chance at all of winning the selkie this season it's almost unheard of now for a non-center to win it wingers yeah and steve knows this but wingers have won this in the past but it's been about 20 years um do you think he deserves to be in the running arvind um i mean Marner is a clearly good defensive player. I do think that Leafs fans and media sort of immediately looks at any good defensive player and goes Selkie. <laughs> um, like those three weeks that Nazem Kadri was in Selkie contention yeah. after he like held McDavid pointless in one game or something. Yeah. Uh, honestly, this is like Bergeron's until he dies. And maybe you can argue for Marner to be on the ballot, but like, I don't see a great argument for him ahead of Bergeron, and I don't like the whole, like, uh, this happens in all sports where it's like, so-and-so should get MVP or, like, whatever award contention. It's like, do you have them first? It's like, no, I have them fourth. It's like, okay, well, like, I, don't, I don't care so much to argue about who should be, like, fourth and third if we both agree they have zero shot of being first. Yeah. If it's like, oh, this guy's fourth, but he, I, like, I could see someone rating him first, then go ahead, but, like... Yeah, in this case, you know, I, I don't I don't really think that Marner has a realistic shot at it. I think there's other really, really good defensive players out there, even outside of Bergeron. Um, you know, Jordan Stahl is having another phenomenal defensive year, as he always does. Uh, who else? I guess, I don't know if this might be sort of just giving it to, like, one of the better defensive players on a good defensive team, but someone on New Jersey should be in contention given how good their defensive numbers are. Mm. I guess I assume it would be Heeshear, but um, it, he might not be the person who actually has the absolute best impacts. But, yeah, there, there's other really good players, basically. Yeah. I, I mean, the closest, to my knowledge, that any winger has recently come to winning the Selkie is Mark Stone, who I believe made mm -hmm. it second one year. I think this will sound weird. Well, maybe it won't sound that weird, actually. Um, if Marner is ever going to seriously get in the contention for this award, the team has to do something in the playoffs the previous year. And if you are perceived as being a very significant contributor, the best defensive forward on a team that really at least comes close to winning a cup or wins a cup, that can be a coming out party and it can drive the narrative for you next year. Um, because the Selkie, as much as anything, is a narrative-based award. You know, you... You, we see guys who sort of linger around the edges of the ballot before it becomes their time. Um, yeah. Patrice Bergeron would have to basically either stop playing or totally implode not to win it this year. Already. He's close to a lock, both for narrative and legitimate reasons. Right. Actually, someone who I didn't realize has had absurd defensive numbers this year, because I don't always think of him as like a defensive player, is Jonathan Marcheseau of Vegas. 
So I, want, I, I mean, Vegas has, I think, quite strong shot suppression this year in general. Mm-hmm. And they do have good defensive forwards, so I wonder if they'll they'll show up high on this as well. Mark Stone's always a threat as well, as you as you said. Yeah. I think Marchessault so would end up in not even the best drummer in the Beatles uh, situation, mm-hmm. where they would give the stone over him. But yeah, anyway, yeah. Bergeron's going to win the selfie. Um, <laughs> so this is a bit of a, an embarrassing answer, and I'm glad that we've buried it like an hour in. Um, what are your top ten Leafs podcasts rated best to worst by Eric Davy? I do not listen to podcasts at all i'm grateful that everyone else does because it enables us to do this i do this because it's fun to just shoot the shit i don't listen to any of them (laughs) yeah i I don't really listen very much to podcasts i guess the psycho behavior that i do is that sometimes if i want to go time i'll listen to old versions of this podcast Mm. um and i'll be like oh you know let's let's see how these held up i recently actually listened to our our off-season review well, part of it, because that thing was 12 hours long. It's like a, it's like a Lord of the Rings extended cut. Um, but I, I recently, like, re-listened to that. And it holds up, like, reasonably That's well. That's good. That's uh, encouraging. One, one thing, yeah, one thing, so we, we talked about how Sonny Milano probably should have gotten signed, and he has done quite well in Washington, I, I think, including getting a few points against the Leafs last night. Oh, hey, that, that's encouraging. So. Yeah, you know what? Sometimes I do, I listen to this one for quality control reasons, even though, Believe me, sometimes it is not fun for me to hear my own voice. So thank you for all of <laughs> you who have uh, who have stuck with us in spite of that. But yeah, sometimes it is fun to um, to just check back and see were we wrong, very were we right. It's humbling because sometimes you inevitably are, and sometimes you're pretty wrong. Um, but yeah, I don't think we've been blown up too badly. On uh, no, not on really. Any of the teams? Yet. I mean, I. I'm just trying to think of. I guess this will to, uh, go into another question that's coming up soon, so I'll, I'll save it for that. Um, next question from Mr. Walker B. So to me, it seems Matthews is taking a lot more one-timers from the very high slot. Is that a case of settling or a result of him creating space? We'll also accept the correct answer, which is probably both obvious and something else. Um, thank you, Mr. Walker B. Um, I don't think you're crazy for seeing this because I feel like I've seen it too a couple of times. But looking at his shot maps, I think the big difference for Matthews is that his shots from short range were all going in at a spectacular rate last year. And so far this year, they're not. Um, he was very, very hot, point blank, last season. Now he started the year a little bit cold. His individual expected goals this year are actually higher this year than last. And proximity to the net is not the only element in that, but it's a factor. It's by far the biggest factor as well. Um, And so I think mostly this is a reflection of the goals that he is scoring have been from further away. I don't think it's for want of trying, and I suspect this is the kind of thing that will start to balance out. So check back on this at the end of the year, and if he still is very cold from short range and he seems to be doing more of his damage further out than before, then maybe I'll say there's more to it, but I think right now this is just shooting variance. Um... Who on the current roster will get their number retired by the Leafs? This is from JM22861002. Uh, Marner, Matthews if he stays, Tavares if they win a cup. Yeah, I can't. Maybe, maybe Riley. Uh, if, the, if the Leafs win a cup and Riley spends his entire career with the Leafs, I think he'll get his number retired. That's fair. Yeah. If the, if the Leafs win a cup, like I think they, could, they might go kind of crazy with the retirement. Yes, yeah, that's the other thing. Is As it stands, it's like it's more ambiguous, but... Once you do that, everyone gets, you know, sprinkled with gold dust. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if you were held at gunpoint and were forced to come up... A lot of help being held at gunpoint. <laughs> a lot this. of people want to see us held hostage. That's a bit disconcerting. Yeah. 
So if you were held at gunpoint, were forced to come up with a new color scheme for the least uniform, what colors would they be? You cannot use blue, white, green, or brown. I guess the green and brown is for the St. Pat's uniforms. That's from Rob Quadrini, 75. So I broke the rules here just because I said every team uses white in some capacity. So I'm going to allow using white. And I'm just, I, I said go with Auburn and white. Go with like a more literal maple leaf or, or maple trees or maple leaves, uh, maple leaves, I should say, as a motif for inspiration. I would actually be curious to see how, how that worked. I think it could be pretty cool. Um, my answer was Imperial Purple because fuck it. Uh, it pairs well with gold, which is the classic Los Angeles Lakers color scheme. But if you don't like that, then we can sort of fade it to yellow. But not enough teams use purple as a dominant color on jerseys. Go for it. Dress for the job you want, which is Emperors of the NHL. Let's uh, let's <laughs> swing a little bit higher. So, what are your thoughts on a play-in? Personally, I hate it. I like the playoffs to be an achievement. That's from Cole, 0727-2487. Yeah, I don't like it. I mean, I think there are some valid arguments for it. I think it would make parts of the regular season more interesting, uh, simply because now there's a race for 6th and a race for 10th, basically, in the conference. Mm -hmm. That that adds, you know, that makes games and marks that were otherwise meaningless kind of meaningful, right? I, I just kind of don't like the idea of possibly allowing worse and worse teams to win the cup mm-hmm. right that that's that's what it boils down to for me um it's not even obvious that it would necessarily increase randomness because but what you're doing is replace effectively you're replacing the worst case scenario from like a randomness perspective or whatever or like from a deserve to be in it perspective is you're replacing the seven and eight teams with the nine and ten teams uh and that actually makes things a little bit easier for the top teams in principle because they could face possibly weaker opponents but i think the worst case scenario of like a 10 seed going on a run which is like much more viable and much more possible in hockey than it is in basketball is just sort of unpleasant to me i i like the idea of only good teams can win the cup and good here is defined as like over a fairly large sample as we know that's not always entirely true there are like weak teams that win the cup all the time uh, we saw the Canadians get to the finals two years ago, right? And that wasn't really a good team. Uh, I think, you know, evidenced by the entire regular season and also what happened in the season afterwards. Yes. But yeah, I, I just kind of like the idea of the playoffs being somewhat of an achievement, not a huge one, like half the league gets in. And this is one situation where I actually do agree with, with Gary Bettman, where he said people are trying to find a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. And I kind of agree. The first round of the NHL playoffs is like, in my opinion, just the absolute peak of North American it's sports. It's very, very good. It's really, really good. Um, this wouldn't change it that much. You still get that first round. You maybe get like a, a worse team there a couple times. But I just don't want to pervert the playoffs even more than it's already been yeah. perverted. We actually had a long segment on this maybe a year or two ago, the last time this idea got trotted out. And so I'm going to say the play-in is the worst NHL format change that is almost certainly going to happen at some point in the next decade <laughs> yeah the, the right like Friedman and lebron who are you know basically stenographers for what gms and executives tell yeah. them and what agents tell them to be fair uh both seem to like it and i can see why gms would like it it gives you another path to saving your job but yeah i i just i don't know i i i dislike how much hockey and the nhl seems to valorize mediocrity yeah and like the idea that you should give everyone a chance it's like uh, hockey is always going to be making a trade-off and this was the substance of my argument before between 
let's have the best teams and let's give more teams a chance for unpredictability. So justice in the sense of the better teams win and aren't beaten by flukes and unpredictability, which means anything could happen. You're always going to be picking a, a spot between those two and you shouldn't want to go to either extreme. Either extreme is there's no point watching because it's a foregone conclusion. The other extreme is we're just playing rock, paper, scissors. And I think that this moves the needle in the direction of it's just more random because it makes the regular season less meaningful. It means that you'll get more mediocre teams who are in a position to go on a goalie run. Um, and it also just means that there's less differentiation. Like we're sort of making this murkier and more distorted and we're getting further away from the best teams winning. And so, I mean, ultimately where you want to draw the line between those two things is sort of subjective. I would probably want to move it closer to fewer playoff spots rather than more, but that's never going to happen. I, I so. agree. I mean, the, the thing with the play-in is like, I guess it still is the same. Like, it's arguably, as you said, as we said, a buff to good teams, to really good teams, because now they face potentially weaker playoff opponents. But the fact, like, with how much it helps mediocre to bad teams, I, I, I don't think that's like a great yeah, trade-off. Like, I'm sorry. I don't want to see the, like, 89-point Vancouver Canucks get into a series and then win in six because Thatcher Demko stood on his head. Like that, like, you know, that's fun for Vancouver fans, but I would rather see a team that's somewhat more deserved to be there. And, you know, that's easy for me to say when the Leafs look like they're going to make a seeded playoff position, but I think I would have stuck to this even when the Leafs were bad. We've been yeah. consistent in this because, like, we, we, I think we said this even when the Leafs were, like, I, I guess two years ago was it they were fourth in yeah. their division or weren't I, they? I mean, they, they, always, they they had the um, wild card spot up, but yeah anyway uh that's my opinion that said i as arvin said we're kind of fighting the inevitable here yeah um, do you have the anyone but boston mentality or is it a team that has no excuses left and victory or death in terms of uh the leafs playoff matchup i think it's you know how concerned are you regarding opponent it's quite unlikely we face yes. Boston in the first round. Um, almost certainly. We would have to fall off pretty significantly. Boston is like the odds-on favorite to face wildcard two. I guess, I mean, they, they could face wildcard mm -hmm. one if uh, Jersey, you know, catches up on them. Uh, they're, they're both playing very, very well right now. Um, I don't think the Leafs really should fear anyone mm -hmm. at this point. Right? It, 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 like, it's probably not going to be a, a easy series, an easy series, but it... You know, I don't think the Leafs need to be shitting their pants. Yeah, like, they should be in with a contender's chance against anybody. And, you know, I'd love to win the division and draw a weaker team. But, you know, whatever it is, you kind of just got to roll with it. So, um, Who is going to be the deadline pickup that a team regrets the most? Also, are you guys reading or watching anything good that's non-hockey related? Um, yeah. Uh, so, I answered this one. Um Joel Edmondson is one obvious example as like the big defenseman with some cup experience that's going to get overpaid for. Also, I like Luke Shen. I think he is a decent player. But if Vancouver's management is at all competent, and I know what you're saying, no, they're not, but this is the easiest part of the job. If Vancouver's management can conduct a competent sale, they're going to engineer a huge bidding war for a gritty defenseman who is a right shot, who is 850K, who has cup experience, who has no trade protection. They should be able to sell him for a lot, I expect, and probably more than he's worth because he's 
you know, a decent depth player, but someone will pay for him as if he's a difference maker. Um, yeah, oh, and uh, in terms of reading, watching, anything good, uh, I read uh, Time's Arrow by Martin Amos uh, a couple months ago. It made my brain move backward. It was very strange. So if you would like to have that experience, by all means, pick it up. Uh, next question. Are they really going to wait for a playoff round win to extend Dubas and Keefe? What is Shani's contract status? Is he safe if they lose round one? That's from J.L. Roberts. Yes. So keep in mind, Keefe's contract isn't up until 2024. Shanahan's contract runs to 2025. Um, as for Dubas, yes, they are going to wait for a playoff round win. Um, again, I'm not saying I would, but they've clearly decided that that's what they're going to do. So here we are. Um, I can't quite speak to Shanahan's job security because the board is opaque to me. I don't know how they decide or mm -hmm. are happy. I will say, if you put a gun to my head, as everyone seems to want to do, I would say Shanahan is going to be safe for another GM hire, and then we'll see how that goes by the time his contract's up. Yeah, I mean, there's also, like, at that level, there's also... It's not just about the hockey team. It's about, like, Nick Shanahan also oversees, I don't know, like, the business side of the hockey team to some extent. Like, that's technically part of his purview. He, is he has not? a very so... broad responsibility, and some of this will be a reflection of how well he manages up, right? Um, yeah. The impression I get is that he's good at it, but I don't know. Um, okay. Being highly educated individuals, do you both believe to succeed in the knowledge-based economy, one must seek an education beyond an undergrad? From Mikey the Ghost. Um, so this is an interesting question. Um, I don't think there's any one path to success, and I don't think success means the same thing to everyone. Mm -hmm. So, like, as many people who listen to the pod will know, I, I, I finished my PhD uh, a couple years ago but i was lucky enough to pursue a phd without having to worry about making ends meet and that's like kind of a pretty obscene privilege that a lot of people don't have as a side note this is actually like kind of common within phd programs it selects for the people who can afford to not make money for four to five years um so like i say that to say that a huge chunk of success in academic fields and even like the ability to pursue higher academic levels is about opportunity it's not about ability right uh so you know advanced formal education in general you know pretty basically every level has like a positive effect on one's career success there's been like many many studies about that and that's because it's both useful in general and it's like used as a signal in like employment and labor markets but also because the people who do so have the privilege to choose that among other options right there's like some level of, of like beneficial selection there um, and they often have like these privileges that would have assisted them regardless. Yeah. So, yeah, I think being educated and knowledgeable is a good thing, but being educated does not require necessarily a formal education, let alone enhanced degrees um, or advanced degrees, I should say. And I think that people are often very hung up on the ideas of formal education, you know, as opposed to, you know, the, the idea behind an education uh, is that it's supposed to help build you into the person that you are, that you, that you hope to be, you, you know, the idea of like a liberal arts education was that you would learn about the world and you know, learn about a wide variety of things and come back a better and more well-rounded person. Mm. Right. Now the meaning of higher education has changed over time. Right. But I do think that ethos should be like, that should be the reason to get an education. It's to become a more knowledgeable and 
worldly person and understand more about the world around you. You do not need a formal education to be any of those things, right? So like there, there should absolutely like not be any sort of like snobbery about about formal education. There, there are many, many, there are many dumbasses who got PhDs. Let me tell you, <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've met a bunch of them. Like it's not, it's not a sign of anything other than someone has done a PhD. Yeah, I would say a couple things. One, there's this idea that a university degree was sort of the road to a comfortable middle class life. Um, and now there are a lot of people who have university degrees and the competition in that field has gotten more intense and people think, okay, I got to get more education to stand out from this pack. If I'm still going to get, um, the rewards that were once considered a given for university graduates. And like, I get that you have to differentiate yourself. I'm going to say a couple of things, learning how to learn as lame as that phrase may sound is really, really important. There are so many things that I have had to do since I left school, and I had probably more education than was necessary, <laughs> um, but I had to just learn how to do different things. And that made me more effective than many of the concrete things that I did learn in school. It was just experience about like, you're encountering a new topic where you don't know a whole lot and you need to start knowing a whole lot soon. That is good experience and that's worth doing. Uh, I would say also, there are a lot of people who make very good livings and do really useful, important stuff who don't go to university, um, who do more useful things than a lot of people who go to university do. So I'm just throwing that out there. But uh, definitely, I, I think people are sort of already backing away from that class stuff a little bit about like how much better it makes you or whatever if you go to university. Yeah, that's all silly. Um, society works because there are a lot of people who can do a lot of things and um, the stuff that you do because of university is by no means the only legitimate stuff so yeah <laughs> I guess that would be my, my hedge um, who would win in an all holiday mascot free for all by Jared from London so holidays don't tend to have super violent mascots um, I mean unless I don't know, like Columbus Day or something. That feels like it gets pretty dark. Um, yeah, maybe the, the the Easter Bunny seems like they could be they could throw like it a down Donnie a Darko bit. kind of bunny, like you know, kind of creepy and weird. If you take that that uh, yeah spin on it, I did see Violent Night the other week, which is just what if David Harper Harbor was Santa Claus, and also an absolutely brutal warrior in an obscenely gory and violent Christmas movie. And that version of Santa Claus would kick ass. So they would, he would absolutely murder people. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, from playing the body, which leaf players are the following Lord of the Rings characters? Aragorn, Sam, Frodo, Gandalf, Gollum, Legolas, and Gimli. Okay. So here was my answer. Aragorn is Tavares because he's a serious leader. Sam is Justin Hall because he's a malign but loyal and useful sidekick. Frodo is Matthews because please, please Christ, let him bring us a ring. Uh, Gandalf is Giordano because duh. Uh, Gollum is Bunting, persistent, irritating, but important. Legolas is Nylander, look at them. And Gimli is David Kampf, solid and dependable, if somewhat unspectacular. So. Um, looking forward to Bunting biting off Matthew's hand in the finals. <laughs> yeah! Uh, okay. Um, yeah. Has this, has this season alleviated any of your concerns about playoff success for the Leafs by Okinwara? I'm sorry if I butchered um, that. Yeah, uh, I said 
this may sound weird, but my concerns about the Leafs in the playoffs were actually much diminished by the Tampa Bay series. Like, I think they can win. I hope that they do. I don't think they're perfect, but I, I am less concerned that they are fatally flawed in some way that dooms them to blow it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, and we already answered Timo Meyer's $10 million qualifying offer. Uh, which Leaf do you think has the weirdest laugh from totally offside? So if Spezza was still around, it's clearly Spezza, but now that he's he's no longer a player, I think it's an Elander. Yeah, I, and you know what? I sympathize with anyone who has a weird laugh. Um, mine sounds kind of like a hyena. I remember once I was out with a new girlfriend with some friends, and some people were like, you know, Philemon, you have the, the worst laugh ever. And I was like, ah, what? And so I was talking to my girlfriend about it on the way home. And I was like, is that true? She's like, well, you know. Nobody's perfect, right? <laughs> she did not push back at all. She was like, yeah, you know, like it, the rest of it's okay. But yeah, you sound like a hina on him. So anyway, uh, who should play Dubis and Keefe in the movie from Red McGraw 1? Uh, I picked Jonathan Groff and Holt McCallany, who have the approximately right builds for the two men. But more importantly, they were extremely good together on Mindhunter which was a show about serial killers, and so I assume the stakes would be similarly high on a show about the Leafs. <laughs> uh, so, Hey, My Name is David asks, what do you think Dubas inevitably resigns Engvall and Kerfoot for this offseason? Um, this depends so much on what happens in the second half in the playoffs that it's almost impossible. Like, there's a huge range of their salary that will be entirely determined by things that happen after the recording of this podcast. So these players could legitimately gain or cost themselves several million dollars over the course of a contract if they go on a heater or if they slump. That's the sport. Um, Also, someone pointed out, if Dubas is doing the extending, the Leafs probably won a round. So that actually implies that these guys were part of a team that had a bit of success and their price might go up as a consequence. For the sake of giving some sort of answer, I think Engvall can get like two million by three or four um, if he wants it, something like they call it a yarn croc contract. He's big, he can skate, he can score a little bit. Um, Kerfoot has cost himself money by going ice cold, but I would be surprised if he dropped under like one by two and a half million, unless he spends the remainder of the year entirely stationary in the middle of the ice. I, I think Engvall is going to get a fair... I think a te- like I think a team's going to look at Engvall and see the Ilya Mikheyev contract and be like, this guy's like not much worse than Ilya Mikheyev, if at all. I would have... I mean, Mikheyev's production is better. It is. Eng- Engel has like really, really. He's Engel's a very good yeah, third line. I, I think, I think so. He was very good defensively, and he has an obvious package of skills. He's six five and he can skate. Yeah, like I, I think for a long time we were like hot and cold on on Engel, and there there was times where he always does seem to frustrate Keith and Lee Sands because he never seems to play quite as tough as people think he should with as someone with his, his physical gifts. Um. But like now it's been long enough where he's had a pretty significant and a good impact on the, the team scoring when he's on the ice. Like he has a career at like 54% XG or something, or at least under Keefe, mm. which is like for a third liner, that's really good. That's really, really good. His impacts are consistently strong. He had, you know, a strong last year. He's been pretty good so far this year. He can play on the penalty kill. He can play on the power play if it's bad. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Well, I mean, our PP2 is basically built around his shot, which is like, okay, I mean, it's not a bad option for PP2, or it's like, okay, look, you're gonna have 30 seconds, yeah. so just take a shot with your best yeah, shoot. Like, this is a grab bag. No, I, you know what, that's, that's a fair argument. Maybe he will, again, depending on what happens, right? But yeah, maybe he will do more than I think. Yeah. Um, Wes Dixon asks, over your years on the podcast, what do you think your absolute best and worst hot takes have been, best and worst being in reference to the accuracy of the take? Um... It's actually kind of hard to think of the best because we've said a lot of stuff. And it's hard to remember. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I gravitated to stuff I said in, in writing. I did the same more, thing. But like for, for for best, I pretty immediately thought the Patrick Marlowe deal was like awful, which was unpopular at the time. People have retroactively been like, oh, we all knew the third year was a problem. It's like, no, a lot of people thought the third year was not going to I be a problem. I actually have to back right? you up on this because I remember we did a round table where we all gave grades to the contract. And I think I gave it like a B minus or something, and you gave it a D. Mm -hmm. And you were the lowest of yeah, all of I, us on the site, who I think were lower. I, th I thought it was a whole, yeah, I didn't like that deal at all. And unfortunately, was proven right on that. Um, we were both pretty tepid on Tyson Berry when we acquired him. I think we were like very excited by the idea, and then we started looking into his stats, and we're like, uh, this guy doesn't seem that great, but everyone seems to like him, so maybe we're wrong. And then we watch him, we're like, oh no, this guy's just not mm -hmm. that good. Um. So I think that was one of our boldest takes that we both had relative to how they were viewed, how, you know, Barry was viewed when he was acquired. Uh, worst, this is not the most impactful. It's just fresh in my mind. I was way higher on Nick Abe-Kubel than he ended up deserving. And I would say probably my bigger one is I wasn't that positive about Tyce, or, uh, TJ Brody when we acquired him. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, Brody seems fine. He, he, but I didn't expect him to be as good as he was. And there were people who were like very excited to get TJ Brody. I wasn't one of them, and he's been phenomenal for the Yeah, we, I think we basically said, like, look, okay, you couldn't get Alex Petrangelo. Here's the next tier of the market, okay. And as long as he's not a total product of Giordano, we're fine. But, yeah, we were not, like, we were content, but we weren't over the moon about it. And if I'd known what he was going to mm -hmm. do, I would have been more excited. Um, so, yeah, I also, I relied on stuff that I didn't text. Most things I didn't text, I have also said on the podcast. So, it's in the same time frame. It's probably valid. Um I predicted the Jake Muzzin deal months in advance of it happening, which I'm pretty proud of. I said, like, this is the guy who's going to be uh, the best candidate to fill the spot. I think that they should get him. The worst, and this is a doozy, but I gotta own it. I thought that Ovechkin was basically approaching being a zero-value contract in spring 2017. I, like, he was turning 32. He had four years at nine and a half million left, and he had just dropped to 33 goals. And I figured he was in an age spiral. And I said, okay, he's going to be like more of a 30, 35 goal man going forward, which is still useful. But at nine and a half million, that's a hell of a lot of money. And it was at the time. And he's probably going to start getting worse and worse. Uh, since then, he scored 242 times. So, my bad, I guess is what I would say. Uh, to be <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think I ever said it like on the podcast or in writing, but I I probably if you asked me at the time I probably would have said something similar for yeah. the same reason. So yeah, like that, 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 yeah. that's a bad. I mean, take. I just gotta own it. Uh, the only thing I could say in my defense is that he's an absolute freak in terms of longevity. Yeah, no, but I, like I, I still said it, and he showed me right the fuck up. So fair enough. Um, eighty-eight racks on me says. If, hypothetically, if Matthews wasn't going to stay after this contract, what would you do? I'm not sure if this is in reference to if I ran the team or just, like, what would I do as a person? Um, if I ran the team, 
I think you have to at least survey the trade market, although there is an argument that you keep them for the last year anyway and say, let's take one more run at this thing and then blow it up. Um, but it depends on what you think you can get for Year of Matthews, and it should be a meaningful return. So you have to weigh it. If it's just like me as a fan, I you know, life would go on. I might be a little bit less engaged with the Leafs. I don't know, but I've done it this far. So, you know, look, sometimes things happen. You just move on. Uh, okay, next question from <laughs> Slut Jesus SSB. Jesus. <laughs> what, what a name. Uh, uh, favorite sleep album. Also, who is your favorite least potential trade option with less than a five mil cap hit? So I think yeah. we answered the, the cheap cap uh, trade question before, but uh, favorite sleep album. I don't even know what that's yeah, referring to. Yeah, I was to. actually ambiguous to me whether that was the band sleep, in which case the answer is Dope Smoker, or just an album to fall asleep to, for which I picked Seraphim by How to Disappear Completely. It's very vibesy, but you can pass out to it. Um, if the Leafs get out of round one, will we get a Foolin' and Face reveal by Pradek Amin? I'm sorry, no, we will not. Um, but like, it's not like I'm secretly like super hot, to be honest with you. Like, <laughs> you know, like it's fine. You, you're not missing it on anything that special. So yeah. Um, okay. This next one's yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, Braca Miklo says, can you talk about Connor Hellebuck and how he should be this target for Leaf starter long term? And I think he should not, and, and you your answer seems to be in the same vein. Yeah, I said very respectfully, no, he should not. And I know he's really good. I just said I would put him on my elite starting lineup earlier on the podcast. But Winnipeg isn't trading him this year because they would have to spiral unbelievably to be out of the playoff race by the trade deadline. So after that, you're either paying a ton of assets to add him for a year at $6 million and then giving him a big extension, so the question says long term, or the following year, he goes to UFA and you just give him a big extension. Giving goalies big extensions is almost always a bad idea, and I do not want to do it. This is not a knock on Hellebuck. Again, he's maybe the best goalie on the planet. It's just that he's it, he'll be in his 30s by the time of that extension. And if he's still the top of the goalie market, he could command like seven years at $8 million or something or more. And I think that signing goalies to those type of deals is a bad idea. You know, um, when John Gibson signed that contract, he was probably the best goalie in the world. When Sergei Bobrovsky signed that contract, he was really good. When Carey Price signed that contract, he was really good. Um, there are so many examples of guys where it's like they had sustained records of success and it just didn't sustain. Goalies are crazy. Yep. Um, your relationship with Mitch Marner, love, hate, love, raised eyebrows or love, love from Kid Kobartha. Uh, I said love, love. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of backpatting and saying I was pretty consistent in not getting mad at him personally for negotiating for a contract of his own interest, even though I didn't love the contract. I did roll my eyes a little bit when he seemed to be like, oh, I feel so underappreciated. And I was like, okay, well, you did take the 11 million a year. There are going to be expectations. But I think that he has every right to negotiate in his own interest. And right now he's been playing like a borderline heart trophy candidate. So great i guess good for him yeah I, I i would say i'm like love raised eyebrows i suppose in the sense of he's clearly like an awesome player he's yeah very 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 good um he's not my favorite leaf and i don't think he'll ever be my favorite leaf um but that's fine i don't think he's losing any sleep over it and <laughs> sleep on a big you know, money. i'm 
Yeah, well, and I don't know. I'm, I'm still very happy. He's he's a Leaf player. He's a, he's an excellent yeah. player. Okay. Uh, would you rather watch an hour of wrestling or an hour of soccer? From this is an ob. I mean, I like soccer actually, so this is an obvious one to yeah, me. Yeah. Um, this was aimed at me by Leafer 1984 because I have made fun of both sports or sports in quotation marks uh, on my timeline. My answer would also be soccer. Okay, I feel like what people get out of wrestling is the same thing I get out of, like, Liam Neeson movies. Or, like, dumb action films where it's like, I know it's kind of silly, but it's like... It's just... There's not much to it in wrestling. Like, the action isn't as exciting, and the the plots and stories are even more ridiculous. And I'm like, this feels like it's for 10-year-olds. But that's okay, if that makes you happy. I'm just saying it. I don't get it. Um, Stoner Rock Album Review from Sweetwater 1981. Okay, so I listened to Force Form Free by Dead Meadow this week, and it's good, more like vibesy stuff, in terms of like you feel like you're on like a weird peyote trip wandering through the desert or something like that. That's what you want. Um, my favorite like heavy-ish stoner adjacent song is actually a Smashing Pumpkins song, but it's the Aeroplane Flies High. That song hits like it has a thousand ton weight behind it. So, yeah. Unfortunately, people ask me about music, so you're all going to have to endure me getting excited for that and the next question. <laughs> so, <laughs> which three it. early 2000s indie rock albums do you find you come back to the most at this point in your life? That's from All Bummer Everything. I spent way more time on this question mentally than probably any of the rest of them, so I'm going to try and not totally lose my mind and consume the whole podcast. Block Party, Silent Alarm is like probably the best dance rock album of all time it absolutely rips the drumming is unbelievable interpol turn on the, the bright lights if you have ever been in a city and it is at night turn on the bright lights is the album for that and as i still live in the city and sometimes it is night there that album still holds up and then uh, destroyer's rubies by destroyer which is a little bit different it just sounds like he's like a university professor who got extremely stoned and wandered around europe for like a year and uh, wrote a bunch of Bruce Springsteen-y kind of songs about it, and it fucking kicks ass. So I am going to cut myself off now and give the mic back to Arvin to talk, because otherwise I will do another hour about this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. Um, this is a bit high concept, but do you ever wonder if the Leafs won the cup? Would it actually make supporting them feel a bit more empty in the future, like the dog chasing the car type situation? So, I mean, I felt this to some extent. So I'm, I'm a fan of both the Raptors and Liverpool FC, the English Premier League team. Both of them have won the biggest titles in their respective sports over the last five years. Um, and I would say I'm like less manic about both of those teams than I used to be. That could just be correlated to growing up a little bit and just like having other shit going on. Um, but I definitely don't die with each like Raps and Liverpool loss the way I used to. I don't really think it's made me feel more empty about those teams. Just that, like, whenever things are, like, not incredibly pleasant, I just go onto YouTube and watch highlights of the times they won. Right? So it, it's... it's it, it, it changes how you view things, at least it has for me. But I don't think it's made me feel... It's, I don't think it's made supporting either of those teams feel empty. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm speculating because I only follow the Leafs, really. And all I can say is I feel like for a while everything would feel like you were playing with house money, which is what Washington seems to be doing, or the Blues for a bit. 
Um, and then if the team became non-competitive after that stretch, you would start to feel like, okay, not much is going to compare with the good old days. But I don't know. Cross that bridge if we ever come to it. Uh. Um, so this is, I think, designed for Foodman. What is your favorite astrology sign? And All right. Why? We're an hour and a half in, so this is a safe space for me to complain about astrology. Every, like, month on Twitter, there is a discourse about astrology because many of the people who take an interest in astrology are women and uh, it's treated as pseudoscience because that's what it is. And so some people say, okay, interests that women primarily like that are a bit frivolous are treated as sort of really bad and stupid and silly, whereas silly stuff that men like is given more credit. And that's true. Yeah. That's true generally. I would say that we are pretty good about being equal opportunity haters here, given what we said about crypto, which is very <laughs> yes. no dominant. Someone said uh, libertarianism is astrology for dudes, and I believe that that's absolutely true. Um, I would like to say that point about gendered stuff being evaluated more critically, I think that holds up really well for like, uh, what was the reception to the Little Women movie um, as a great piece of cinema compared to certain male heavy ones, or how are Taylor Swift's albums reviewed? Um, compared to more supposedly serious male stars. I think that that actually is a really valid and insightful point. However, the problem I have with astrology is that people say that they only believe in it as like uh, a guide or a joke or something like this, but then they kind of do. And I'm like, you know, this is nonsense, right? Like it's not real. And I'm just a little bit worried when we start to encourage this stuff as if it has value in terms of determining things that are true because it's bullshit. And if everyone were very clear that it's like, this is all bullshit and it's fine, or it's just like, you know, stuff of interest or like fantasy writing, that would be totally cool with me. I just, I'm a bit uncomfortable with this idea that we can't point out that it's nonsense because otherwise we might say something offensive. Anyway, that is my angry astrology rant. So... I apologize to anyone who is still listening and who likes astrology. Uh, I don't know. You, you have an interesting mix, I guess, with us and astrology, but who knows? <laughs> that is such a Libra statement. <laughs> That's the other thing is, if this is valid, you should be able to guess what uh, a zodiac sign I am, shouldn't I? Uh, I, I suppose. I, I'm i a Libra. It's the only zodiac sign yeah, I know. Well, I don't know. Head, I'm going to so. keep it mysterious. Write in and guess my, my Zodiac sign, and maybe you'll convince <laughs> me. Okay, and for our final question, Abraham Lincoln is revered for his enormous influence while president. However, perhaps less well-known is his adeptness in various sports. If this 6'4 wrestling giant with size 14 shoes were to be recruited to the Leafs roster, what position would he play? This is from Ash A. Davy 19 I gotta tell you, I feel like Lincoln would be a goalie. He's 6'4", long arms, covers the net, also saves the union and then presumably also pucks against. I, I think Goldie's actually, good, like, there's actually been a trend, right? It's been discussed forever of Goldie's getting bigger right? and bigger and bigger. So you have a 6'4 guy, right? Well, especially if you're transporting him. He was 6'4 in the 1800s or whatever. If you bring him in now, he's like, yeah, he's been no, Bishop absolutely, size. right? So just get him that nutrition in the backwoods of Illinois and then we're going to the races. So yeah, I think uh, Abe Lincoln would be a goaltender. I, I enjoyed that question. <laughs> all right, cool. So that is that is all the questions that we have. Um, thank you to everyone who sent them in. It's it's, it's always really cool and really um, 
really neat that we have people who are willing to like hear our thoughts on weird and inane and you know quasi least related shit so we, we do really appreciate that we don't take that for granted at all i don't think either of us really expected we would ever get to the point where we could run a mailbag and have it take 100 <laughs> minutes basically so um that's really awesome you can catch all of mine and Fuleman's work at petchmanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RVNATFuleman. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Oh, uh, programming note. We will be off each of the next two weeks because of the holidays. We will return in January. Everyone has a, a safe and happy holiday season.